Welcome to The Marketect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Marketect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, we're going to sit with two content marketing leaders, one of the best copywriters in the game, if not the best, and a brilliant content marketing leader who just opened up her own shop. They're going to share with us their best practices on developing a loyal audience through remarkable content. That's the point of content. It's develop that loyal audience. And now it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to my co-host for this episode, Adam McQueen, content lead at Clue, along with our three guests. Hello, Camille from Dooley, Eddie from Very Good Copy, which should be very, very, very good copy.com, and Aaron, the chief picky editor at Aaron Balsa Content Marketing. I absolutely love your title. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Uh, I have this thing. You answer to fill in the blanks, and then we'll get to your content marketing best practices. We'll start with Aaron. I am in marketing because I get to be my authentic, creative, weird self on a daily basis. Love it. Camille, I am in marketing because I can't do anything else. <laughs> Comedian. That, uh, that, that could be the second career calling for you. Uh, Eddie, I am in marketing uh, because I like working creatively. Beautiful. Adam. McQueen, I am in marketing because journalism doesn't pay the bills. That too. <laughs> Love it. All right. Uh, why don't we switch up the order here? Camille, we'll start with you. My definition of leadership is getting out of the way, <laughs> making, mm-hmm. making sure uh, everyone else uh, is taken care of. Fantastic. Aaron. My definition of leadership is? Leaving people better off after having interacted with you, helping them grow. (sighs) Leaving people better off after interacting with you and ready to grow. Love it. Eddie, my definition of leadership is? Uh, uh, Prioritizing the success of the people you're leading. Deep. I don't (laughs) My definition of leadership is? I feel I've, we've got Eddie here from some very good copy. So I feel bad saying this, but action over words. Action over words. All right. Hey, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> all the words I write are, are designed to, you know, compel action. So there we go. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Let's get to the action then, shall we? About the words. So I don't know about you, but uh, I often have trouble formalizing concepts to write about. Once I have the idea, I can make the words work, but what methods do you use to better identify topics for writing ideation, if you will? Um, Yeah, so I could take that. I I, I think ideation becomes much easier when you uh, like have a a format basically. So, and that's like, you know, putting yourself into a box or putting walls around your thinking. and this way you don't have a million directions you can go in, you know, you only have a few. And so it becomes much easier to make a decision when you have fewer options. So that's one thing, just like put yourself in a box and, 
you're less likely to um, become overwhelmed. Um, the other piece to that is uh, instead of thinking in your format, train yourself to think in elements, um, which usually make up the format you're working in. Uh, so like, for example, a very good copy, you know, I publish a specific format called uh, micro articles and that format consists of two elements, the story and the lesson usually. Um, and the lesson is almost always about a uh, copywriting or marketing or creativity principle or technique that I find valuable um, and think others will too. And the story is usually a personal experience. So something that happened to me in real life, um, or sometimes it could be like an anecdote I saw on TV uh, or read somewhere or heard from a friend. But the point is it's a story. And I use that story to uh, frame the lesson. And when you frame a lesson in a narrative, it just becomes more interesting and I guess more engaging and easier to remember. So anyway, so I have these, these two elements that I know I need for the micro article, but very rarely do both of them kind of like fall in my lap at the same time. You know, it's like, it's never served up on a, on a platter for me. Um, I almost always have to put them together at different times, you know, and that could be hours apart or that could be months apart or years apart sometimes. So, uh, you know, to deal with that, I've kind of trained myself to um, collect elements and look for elements and, and think in elements first. Um, and only then do I put them together uh, into a familiar format. Love it. You train yourself to collect elements. You provide a, a frame, a box so that you don't run off on tangents and, uh, uh, you pick a certain format. So for your micro articles, you're talking about every micro article has to have a story, an anecdote, followed by uh, a lesson. I, I love that disciplined way of uh, of approaching it. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, it helps like, me it helps me write them. I guess you know, like I said, you put yourself in a box. You know, you put yourself. You know, you, you have walls around yourself, um, and then it just becomes easier to to think that way. But again, a format doesn't just, it's hard to think in the format. It's easier to, to like separate it out into these pieces and then put the pieces together afterwards, I guess. Yeah. I, I love the, the approach to, to micro content. Like you, you've got to provide the most amount of value in this kind of confined, like you're saying, all these parameters you've set there um, through your newsletter and LinkedIn, you provide this micro content. It's, it's awesome. How do you approach this writing? Oh, well, uh, so, so basically I write in, in vignettes or I try to write in vignettes. Um, and a vignette is, is like a very short story. Uh, but unlike a traditional story, um, it doesn't need to have like a structure or a plot necessarily. So it doesn't need a beginning and a middle and end. Um, it doesn't necessarily need like a conflict and a resolution. It only needs to have an emotion. Um, so it's kind of like a, like a picture, like a photograph, you know, like a snapshot in time. Um, it's just a moment. It's just a scene. Uh, and if you can convey the, the tone of that scene uh, or like the mood of that scene, um, then you're doing enough from a vignette standpoint. And I think as a copywriter, as a writer, as a marketer, um, it's really excellent practice um, to create vignettes because it teaches you how to um, zoom in on moments, you know, how to tighten moments, how to expand moments. Um, so it's a really great medium, especially, you know, for marketers who want to, um, you know, conjure emotion quickly and efficiently, I think. Brilliant. Aaron, let's transition to you right now. Um, and you spoke about ideation 
it's one thing to have ideas. How would you recommend folks approach content as a strategy to ensure that your content teams have clarity, uh, ideating the right ideas and then scheduling, translating these ideas into, into content? When I think about strategy, I always frame it for my team where we start with the strategic company objectives. We make sure that any content we're creating maps to one of those. Of course, we still have room for you know, being creative, trying new things. It's not like we're rigid, but we're rigid within guidelines. Then from there, you have your marketing team objectives and thinking kind of drilling down to what you want to accomplish. You know, if as a company, you're trying to get attention for a new category, you need to have your category content. What does that look like? Does that have to be just high level awareness content? Or can you start to frame the product and the category together and start to build out content further down the funnel, helping people with how-to articles, videos, you know, thinking about not just a high level category content, but how you can bring the product in. And then I think a lot too about strategy. It's not even just you as the content team being the one to create the ideas. It's a process where you're getting requests a lot of times from across the business. So how do you know which ones to say yes to? Do you have a process for getting those requests so that it's not a big cluster you know what? Don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, so I'll play it safe. Oh, you need to have please. a process. You need to have a prioritization model. You need to know what's going to be low effort, high effort, you know, high payoff, and just kind of do your scheduling from there. Otherwise, it's really easy to feel like you're getting run over by a bus because you're trying to create, ideate, get attention, and also get all these requests done for all these different teams. And it can be really, really hard. So I'd say the strategy is kind of your North Star, and it actually allows you to say no to some people, or maybe not no, but no, not right now. Got it. Got it. I, I love that focus, prioritization, and, and clarity. Uh, Aaron, let's stay with you if you wouldn't mind. I also see on LinkedIn that you've been posting on the importance of big content. First of all, what do you mean by big content? <laughs> And, and how does that fit into your content strategy approach? And is that different from uh, primary research-oriented thought leadership? I've been doing big content for years now, but never calling it that until I saw an article that Andy Crestedita published and he called it big content. And I said, that's perfect. Why haven't I ever thought to talk about it this way? I talk about research reports. I talk about documentaries. I talk about you know in-person events and all the content that you need to create to promote and support that event. That's all big content. When I'm thinking about a prioritization model, in terms of effort, it's high, of course, but in terms of the payoff, it's also very high. So you want to make sure that you know whether or not something's worth your time. If something's going to be a big lift and it's going to be like a big dud, you don't want to do it. So yeah, when I talk about big content, the stuff that I've done with my team in the last year, reports, documentary, lots of big fun stuff. And the reason why I love it it's different. So people tend to have a better reaction to it. They tend to share it and not just people, but partners. So if you have a partner network, you know, your partners are typically hungry for content to share. However, they may be less enthusiastic to share just another blog post or just another one sheet or whatever it is. If you can create this great experience around content, if you're doing a documentary, have a documentary premiere, have a VIP guest list, you know, have your content team create 
packages and movie posters and send that out in the mail, have this whole big experience, get your partners involved, have them invite their best clients or, you know, prospects that are in the pipe that they'd like to close. And just really think about what you can do to get people really excited to come to your events and to consume your content and to share your content. Yeah. Aaron, when I, when I like see a lot of the work you do on LinkedIn and I think of Aaron, I think of these like awesome research reports and you talk a lot about like a lot of the value and benefit from doing these reports. And it's funny, it's this primary research data, like the value of it extends beyond just as a, as a marketing team sharing out to this broader audience. Like I just had a content enablement session with our SDR team and having these juicy and relevant data points with context, it's like catnip for them. And that was something that was really cool that when I realized I was coming on with Aaron today and all of the work you do with reports and listening to the SDR team, like we, we use these data points that you found on your report from last year. I was like, it's incredible. Cause like, honestly, a data point sort of like worth a thousand words in a way. Totally. Uh, and they can help you for a year or more. I mean, I still see leads that came in through a 2020 report that still closed to this day, which is cool. Um, they're just awesome. They can be cut into so many different smaller content pieces and repurposed. You can use your proprietary data in a webinar. You could even put some of that data, of course, on your website, but maybe even in the software. If you see that you have a drop-off point where people aren't progressing past, Maybe you throw in some data about people who do this have these results. So there's all different ways you can use that data. And Adam, you talked about Aaron's phenomenal LinkedIn posts, much like Eddie Camille. My God, I have to say your posts are so pragmatic and spot on. A big fan over here. Let's transition to you. Uh, Aaron and Eddie, they both addressed ideation and planning. Uh, Camille, what's um, what's another pragmatic approach to building content in a more tactical way uh, to aid with sales efforts? Ah, that mute button will get yeah. you every time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I like had like finger on the trigger and then I took it off for a second and here we are. But uh, first off, I, I really resonate with what uh, Aaron said earlier of um, trying to avoid like the hamster wheel. So there's a few different ways you can do it. And Eddie talked about this too. So uh, a lot of it is just process, right? So deciding what you are going to do, what you're not going to do. This is what my format's going to be, uh, whether that's big content or micro content. I like that we have that nice ju juxtaposition here. But, um, but for me, whenever I get overwhelmed, it's like going back to the, to the basics. Like I can't do marketing if I don't know the market. Right. And so making sure that you are touching base with the market and the people inside the market. And then the other way to think about that is all, all B2B content should create demand for a product, which is most, most times trickier than uh, what a media company has to do, which is uh, just get people pumped about your, your content. Like the content is the product in that case. Um, but for B2B companies, you're having to um, draw attention to usually a need in the market uh, or a gap in the market. And so, so to me, like a lot of marketing, a lot of content marketing um, goes back to, do I understand the gaps? And so um, the gaps uh, in the market, um, and what your, how your product solves them and evangelizing, not your product so much as the, um, 
as the problem in the market. Uh, most of the time, like this is where uh, content marketing falls flat is it tries to skip way ahead to solving for, um, for the problem or, or solving for the product rather. Um, and not getting every, not getting people through the funnel, if you will, like not, not bridging that, that gap. Um, and so one understanding your product, understanding why it exists, um, what the problems are that you're solving. And then looking at it from a content perspective of uh, what are what are the gaps in this content landscape? And a lot of people will take that uh, or misunderstand that to be, okay, there's a lot of blogs. I should probably just not do a blog. Uh, or there's a lot of podcasts now. Like I, like uh, this has become a hot topic of there's too many podcasts. Everyone's launching a podcast every, every week. But, uh, but how many of those podcasts are really compelling? Like how many podcasts do you listen to every week? Um, and so, so really it's about- Beyond where, the market time. Of course. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. So, um, so really, it's identifying like what are the gaps like in the content that exists, um, and if you dive into to your competitors or, or dive into just what exists uh, in the landscape, uh, is it do they have a format? Do they have like a compelling format that's working, like like Eddie's? Um, and if not, like look at those as opportunities to how can I uh, evangelize this this gap that I know exists and that we solve for. Um, um, and sort of like attack all of the um, the topics around that um, in a way that uh, will stick. Um, and so those are kind of like the, the three pieces that I look for. Brilliant. Camille, once you sort of fill in these gaps, how can you create broader content that might drive visibility and awareness? Yeah. So I sometimes do like an inside out approach. Like I, I really like the, the big content approach, but first I'll usually start with, um, with like a social post. Right. And, uh, for me, usually an organic social post of, um, so when I first started at Dooley, for instance, I had like a few, uh, thought leadership like type posts, um, that were kind of like from the founder's perspective of his journey. Cause it's a unique story and that he was a, a top salesperson that wasn't using Salesforce, but was hitting three X quota. So people are really interested in that story. Um, so I kind of tell that story in a few different ways and see how it was resonating. Um, and then uh, you expand that out into, into broader, broader topics, like based on the angle that's resonating with people, if that makes sense. And so, um, so so, so that's, that's one approach is you kind of like take the angle that's working. You, uh, you expand it out into, into broader, like big content. Um, and then the other thing that we did is, is kind of validate, um, validate our thinking, um, uh, in the market through like a research report. So, uh, basically following, following Aaron's playbook, uh, and, uh, working with a PR agency to, to do a research report, um, that's, that's in the works now, um, and seeing kind of the core themes within that. So ours is about sales happiness. Um, but when you dive into the report, it's really about sales productivity, um, which solves one of those gaps. Right. Um, and then it's also about sales happiness and it's also about like sales hiring. And so then you can see how there'd be like micro content that would come from that, like the, the infographics that would come from that and the ad campaigns that would come from that. And so for me, it's, it's usually like an inside out approach. So I don't, waste money if I don't have to, um, where I'll kind of test, test a theory that I have, uh, based on the market problems by putting something out into the universe, whether that's a paid ad and we'll get some responses and, uh, SDRs and the, the sales team is helpful for this too, of what's, what's converting, what's starting these conversations. Um, and then, uh, 
expanding that out. Um, and it's helpful to do something like a, a research report because then it's not you talking about your product. It's uh, other people talking about the problems behind your product that you solve. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Sort of like validating your perspective on the market, what those problems are, as you mentioned, people at those different stages and really allowing people to be problem aware. I love that you've brought up this kind of categoric content. Um, what about the role of community-led content, Camille? It's kind of like the rage right now. It feels like it's like the hot new thing. Yeah, yeah. Community content is definitely uh, definitely hot right now. And uh, I think it's it's because we kind of had to create in a vacuum uh, a while back. Like there just wasn't the, the connectivity that exists right now. And especially with people not being able to, uh, to go outside or, or see people as much anymore, like, or even like a, yeah. a tighter knit online community. And so, um, so essentially like I, I just started noticing um, when I was writing, writing blogs uh, at my last job that um, I had an opportunity to kind of tap into my network and say, what does everyone else think about this? Like I could, I could do my own research and uh, scrape uh, all of the um, top email provider services, like uh, scrape, scrape all those listicles that are out there and create a skyscraper listicle, or like I could get like the up-to-date information um, by just asking my network, what does everybody actually like and what do they use? Um, and then uh, reaching out to them kind of one-on-one -on -one for, um, for deep, uh, deeper dive interviews. But um, the advantage of, of doing it like that, of asking your audience before you even create something is again, you're, you're validating your product. You're, you're, you're validating your, your content, your productized like content by saying like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, what does everybody think about it? Uh, what are your opinions? And then that kind of becomes the content, right? Like you're just collecting, collecting information. Um, and then you get to kind of play editor and, and piece all of those things together and frame the story around um, uh, actual data points, like rather than sort of like sitting in your own little like content box and uh, having to like rack your brain for, for ideas uh, to, to make content. And so, yeah, uh, essentially con uh, community-led content um, is about being being more, playing more of the role of an editor um, than a creator, like let your letting your community create the content and then piecing that um, piecing all those together. And if you're doing B two B content, usually from from your own point of view, like your own uh, lens, and that's like the the important part is um, seeing the story in a specific way and being able to communicate that in a specific way is is definitely a skill, and editing is a skill, but uh, allowing yourself to to not have to create the the actual info and like the content um because that's probably pretty biased and probably not that helpful brilliant i i mean community-led content frankly is the most authentic type of content because it's coming from the folks that are uh, either using buying your products they're in your ecosystem i i, I love the concept of community-led content um eddie final question before we head into the lightning rounds. Ready? Okay. Yep. Ready, Eddie? All right. Ready. Bet you haven't heard that one before. All right. We can have the best content strategy, the best ideas, the best content assets. You know, we just talked about community-led content, category-led, primary research-oriented content. But leave us with a tip for growing our audience so that all this wonderful content 
it's not falling on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So from a growth standpoint, um, I try to create loops and, you know, a growth loop is basically when growth is built into the process of uh, using a product. Um, so in other words, like leveraging your current users to create new users. Um, so like I'm very good copy in the newsletter, I've asked my subscribers to amplify my reach on LinkedIn, for example. Um, and it breaks down into a three-step process, which is really simple. And I think anybody can do it. And a lot of other people do do it. Um, step one is, you, you know, I publish a, a micro article on verygoodcopy.com. Mm-hmm. And then step two is I'll republish a version of that piece um, in a LinkedIn post. And then step three is, you know, I'll send the original out in my newsletter with a CTA asking for engagement on that LinkedIn post. Uh, and when my newsletter audience engages with the post on LinkedIn, uh, their connections are notified and that creates more engagement. Um, and that creates more traffic to verygoodcopy.com, which yields more subscribers. Um, and that ultimately adds to the audience I'm able to leverage uh, in future posts. So it's a really virtuous circle. Um, and I think it's a great way for creators who are investing their time and, and energy into making something valuable for people um, to get value back um, in the form of reach and, uh, and exposure. So create loops, folks. Love it. I love that three-step process, Eddie. Thank you. And now on to our lightning round. Eddie has a question. I have a question. Eddie, my man, you go first. Who am I asking again? What, what am I asking? Sorry, not Eddie. Adam. So my apologies, <laughs> Adam. <laughs> I was like, Eddie's the one. I'm not ready for this one. <laughs> I was like, I'm so ready for everything. I'll take this one, Ron. We'll go. All right. I think this is another hot topic as well in the content world to gate or not to Kate gate. That is the question. Uh, I'll start with, I'll start with you, Aaron. So for sales led companies, it's just really not realistic to ungate everything all at once. So a good approach could be to strategically gate your content. And what that means is you could gate some big content, something that's valuable enough that somebody would be okay opening their wallet and paying five, 10, $20 for. If it's that good, cool. It's okay to gate it. Otherwise you should move to a more like a strategic gating model. So for example, maybe you have a splash page and 50% of the content is free and open. And then at the bottom, you should maybe merchandise a few courses or reports. And there's one form you fill it in. Once you unlock all the content on the site forever, that's a better experience. Ease of use. And that is a tipping point of providing enough value teasing ahead. Eddie, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with Aaron. I think it's got to be a combination of of both. Um, you know, from personal experience, I mean, I give a lot of stuff away for free, um, put a lot of content out there. There's a lot of content on my site. Um, there's a lot of content on LinkedIn that I post. Uh, but then I do have bigger pieces that I gate, more valuable pieces, I guess, micro courses. Um, and, uh, you know, it compels people into my newsletter Um Mm-hmm. you know, when, when maybe they wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't be compelled, uh, otherwise. So 
I think it's, I think you got to do both and you just have to be uh, realistic with what people would actually give away a piece of information for. All right. We've had two measured answers here. Camille, do we have a hot take here? What do we got? <laughs> Fight the power, oh, Camille. I, <laughs> I, uh, I asked uh, Aaron this actually a while back on, on my podcast, uh, and I, I liked your answer, and it got me thinking uh, about uh, what my answer is. So um, I right now, like, I don't, I don't gate uh, anything, like, personally on uh, – you know, just, uh, anything that I do for, um, for myself. Um, but, uh, working, working in like a, a more of a sales led company and having like a, a growing sales team too. I, I feel like the point of marketing is to, is to support sales. Um, and, uh, and sometimes like the, the best way to do that is, is through, through gating, highly valuable content. Um, that being said, like, I, I do feel like I have like a, a high bar of what should, what should be gated and, and what shouldn't be gated. And I do feel like it's something where it should take you hours and hours, probably months, like to, to create the, the type of content that you're gating. So things that we talked about uh, already research reports, um, uh, like master classes, like where you're breaking down how to do something right. Like very actionable, um, content that would take you a long time to, to edit and put together, um, are, are worth gating. And then something, something like a newsletter where it's, um, very journalistic and you're putting a lot of time and effort into making, making that uh, format. So, um, so yeah, so I agree with everyone else. No, uh, no super hot takes uh, from me. We wouldn't last a day in sports talk radio. Hey, nuanced measured answers they're thoughtful (laughs) uh last last question we'll do aaron eddie camille adam all right what do you wish content teams would stop doing in 2022 aaron Hmm. this is a toughie because there's so many things that i see that i i don't like I wish content teams would stop hiring bad freelancers and just being too busy to put the time into the work. Because if your internal team is given high quality stuff, it's on brand, it's on voice, it has a narrative woven in, and then you know you need your SEO content. So eh, we'll just farm that out to someone, some low quality writer. It's just an SEO page. It doesn't matter. That's not true. Because even though it might not be a page on your blog, it's still a page that people are going to read and your brand should be consistent across properties and your narrative should be consistent and your voice should be consistent and the quality should be consistent. So just make sure that when you're farming certain parts of your content out, you have a tight editorial process so that it all looks the same. Love it. Be consistent. Use your in-house folks. Eddie. I don't know what I want to see them stop doing. I, I, I guess I'd like to see, I'd like to... I'd like to see them stop creating a lot of impersonal content. In other words, content that, that doesn't really inject um, their individuality into it. You know, a, a big part of, of a uh, very good copy and the stuff that I write is, is uh, you know, the fact that I'm writing about um, myself and my personal experiences, my, my family, you know, the things that happen in my life and I'm connecting them to uh, lessons and principles and techniques and um, I think that's went over really well. Like sometimes people reach out and they, they say they feel like they know me or they feel like they've been, you know, they've been reading me for a while. So they feel like they, they understand who I am. Um, and that creates kind of like a, 
uh, a bond, you know, uh, even though I've never met these folks. Um, so I think it's a strategy that I could see more of out there. You know, I could see, um, you know, even if it's a, even if it's a corporate blog, you know, I could see the writers, um, injecting themselves into the work a little bit more and, um, maybe getting some similar results out of it. Humans buy from humans, be personal. Even if you're writing for your company. I love that Eddie Camille. Yeah. What do you uh, wish content teams would stop doing in 2022. Yeah. I think it's, um, uh, creating content in a silo. So a few examples mm. of this in, in my career or one going back to that community led, right? Uh, if nobody knows that you're doing it, uh, it's hard for them to engage with the content. It's hard for them to find the content and it's hard for them to engage in it. So thinking about a marketer in that sense of where is this content going to go and thinking about the, the distribution strategy along with the creation of it. Um, so there's that side. And then two, um, thinking that organic and paid are different, like that you have to have different messaging uh, in both of those. Obviously there's different formats like for, for those different channels, but uh, like in my experience, if it's good enough for organic or if it's good enough for the content team, thinking about how how do we use this for sales? Like how do we use this um, for our uh, our paid strategy um, so that it, so that um, you're getting more out of out of one piece? Um, and so you have a marketing team instead of a growth team and a content team and a sales team. Um, and I think like that's that's in my experience like that's where the magic started to happen is uh, when you're able to be the glue person between those uh, and uh, creating content um, that works for sales but that somebody if they came in organically would would also enjoy that's a pretty good measure of um, if it's if it's really good content and so those are a couple of things that's just not creating content in a silo love it so you're storytelling in a uniform manner i absolutely love it well my co-host, Adam, thank you so much for lending us your time. Aaron, Eddie, Camille, I really, really appreciate you folks lending your amazing content and copywriting insights with the product marketing community. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful 2022. All the best. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.